In Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. That's the connection, you see? There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. You not only have no condemnation, but you have no bondage. And you say, how does he do it, though? How does he set us free from the bondage? Verse 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Set Free in Christ. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Romans, you know, it's hard not to look back and just kind of stand in awe of the sweep of Romans. But I just want to remind you where we're at in Romans. I had you turn to Romans chapter 8 and chapter 5, starting at verse 12. The Scripture says that the cross of Christ delivered us from Adam's sin and Adam's race. You come to Jesus Christ, and not only are your sins forgiven, but you're identified with a new head. You're in a new race. The last Adam, Jesus Christ. Born into Adam, you die. Born into Christ, you have life and justification. And then chapter 6, we're delivered by that same cross from sin as a master. We no longer need to sin because we have been identified with Christ. And just as He died to sin, so we died to sin. In chapter 7, by that same cross, we're delivered from the law. The law is no longer master over us. We're not under law, we're under grace. And uh, just to look back even yet further and kind of keep the big picture in mind, because I think it's so helpful to see these truths as they've you can look at them individually, but as they pile up on top of one another, and as you see the great structure of our salvation, it's liberating, for one thing, in your own Christian life, and it's, it's just uh, good for us in understanding what Paul is saying in Romans. So uh, if I were to say about deliverance from the penalty of sin, I'd be speaking of chapters 3, 4, and the first part of 5. If I'm talking about the power of sin and the deliverance that Christ accomplished from the power of sin, I'm talking about chapter 6, 7, and 8. We've been delivered from the very power of sin. And I want to just, uh, having said that, show you the contrast between chapter 7 and chapter 8. Remember last week, chapter 7, what the law can do and what the law can't do. What the law can do, we saw in verses 07 through 13. What the law can do, it can make you know that sin is real. It makes sin known. That's what it does. And it shows sin to be utterly sinful. But what the law can't do is deliver from sin. Don't think, even as a Christian, that if you'll just come up with the right formula, the right set of rules to live by, that that's the key to the Christian life, just figuring out what you're supposed to do and then just doing it. No, the law has no power to deliver from sin. And so we saw that in verses 14 through 
the end of the chapter. And if you try to deliver yourself with your own effort by just rule-keeping or keeping the Mosaic law or any kind of legalism in that way, it leads to frustration and failure and the kind of the, the, the turmoil that Paul speaks of. And let's just reread his words starting at verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand, for I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it's good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I, am the, if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, I think every Christian can relate to that internal struggle. But I said last time, it is not to be the norm of the Christian life. I'll quickly add, it will be a constant of the Christian life until... God finishes the work in our life, and we are, our body is actually redeemed. There will be that tension, and there's those two possibilities in our lives. But it's not to be the norm that we see no progress and that we just constantly are defeated by the very thing we don't want to do and that sort of thing. That's not to be the norm. You come to chapter 8, and you have described the pattern for Christian living. And you come to chapter 8, and it's like great contrast to chapter 7. And there is the joy and the victory. And, you know, I've had the privilege of teaching Romans time after time in a lot of different settings. And so often, when you get to chapter 8, the wheels start to really turn, and Christians begin to understand and identify with and enjoy the victory that we have available to us in Christ. It's a great chapter. Notice, uh, just look at it with me before we jump right into it. Notice it begins, verse 1, with no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends, look over at the last verse, with no separation. There is no condemnation if you're in Christ, and there is no separation from Christ. No one, nothing can separate you from Jesus Christ. What a tremendous, uh, what a tremendous, you know, set of bookends to this chapter. No condemnation, no separation. And in between, what truth for our lives. Now, I hope you're familiar with it. If you're not, I would say get familiar with it. Spend time with it. I remember as a little kid, I asked my dad, uh, what was his favorite chapter in the Bible? Uh, your kids ever ask you that? I asked my dad that, and he said, Romans 8. Maybe, maybe 2 Corinthians 5, but I think Romans 8. And then he told me, and I remember him telling me that uh, they read Romans 8 at his dad's burial. And he died when I was just a baby. I never knew him. But they'd read Romans 8. And, you know, as a, as a kid, boy, if Romans 8 was good enough for Dad, it became my favorite chapter, you know. You fathers remember that, by the way. But 
long since it has become a favorite of mine. Sometimes people ask me what's my favorite book, and I say, well, which whenever, whatever one I'm in. <laughs> and that kind of can be said about the chapters sometimes, but I'll tell you what, I come back to Romans 8 time after time, not just because my dad liked it, but because it has so much for us. I mean, there is comfort here, and I have read this chapter so often at the bedside of one who is soon to go on into eternity. And I have comforted people in death, and I have comforted loved ones with this chapter, and God has comforted them as I've just simply read the words. It's a great comfort in death, and it's a great source of strength for life. Right now, whatever your age, take Romans 8 and spend some time in it. Really get to know it and watch what God will do in your life. Now, let me again just remind you that Paul has raised the question, we are saved by grace, completely by God's grace. Does that grace promote sin? A lot of people say that, you know. It's very popular in our day to say that. Well, if you're saved by grace, it doesn't matter how you live then. You can just live however you like. Does grace promote that kind of thinking? May it never be, Paul says. And he addresses that subject so thoroughly in chapter 6. No way. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? You see, in chapter 6 says, not so much that sin is impossible for the Christian, but that it's unthinkable. How shall we who died to sin, we who are identified with Christ, how shall we live in it? No way. So chapter 6 says it's unthinkable. Does that mean that a Christian, a real Christian, never sins? No. No, chapter 7 guards against that kind of thinking. And in fact, Paul is honest as he tells the struggle that he's gone through in his own life. And as I said, the struggle of chapter 7 is not to be the norm, but it will be a constant in our lives until our body is redeemed. Because Paul learned uh, in chapter 7 that there was no strength in and, of his, in and of himself to overcome sin. And so uh, chapter 7... In fact, in a nutshell, you can put it this way. Chapter 6 guards against lawlessness. And chapter 7 guards against legalism. And you know, both those are constantly encroaching on the church in every generation and on every Christian life. There's a voice that says, doesn't matter how you live, go sin, doesn't matter, you're saved by grace. And then there's a voice that says, no, you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you need to just keep enough rules and you can be a good Christian and you can do it. And chapter 6 and 7 deal with both of those. And then you come to chapter 8. You come to chapter 8. But uh, notice where we left off. Let's just let Paul introduce it because he closed chapter 7, verse 24. Wretched man that I am. When he, when he admitted this struggle that was going on inside himself, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Every Christian, every real Christian, you've been a Christian any length of time, you can relate to what Paul says in verse 24. And yet, he quickly responds, 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Every Christian, you've been a Christian any length of time at all, you can relate to verse 25 also. 
Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Praise God, Jesus Christ delivers. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then after those two kind of bursts of emotion, he quietly restates it again. Look at the end of verse 25. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So he says there's two situations, but it doesn't end there. Just ignore the chapter and just move right into chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even though the Christian experience is not perfect, there is no condemnation for the Christian. Even though as Christians we are not what we ought to be in our experience, there is therefore now no condemnation for the Christian. Why is that? Well, look at verse 1 again. Because we are in Christ Jesus. Our new position, everything, everything hinges on our position. We were in our sins. We are now in Christ Jesus. Positional truth theologians speak of. And I'll tell you something. Every Christian needs to get hold of this to know that you are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ will never be judged again. Death no longer is master over him, and you are in Christ, and you will never be judged again. Judgment fell at the cross of Christ, and you in Christ can exult in verse 1, and every Christian should. You say, I've only been a Christian just a few weeks. I don't care. How long you've been a Christian? If you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Enjoy that. Get hold of that. Let that get hold of you. Uh, it is a key truth of the Scripture. And it hinges, as I said, on your position. It's not on your walk or your application of these truths. It is on where you are. Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. You remember uh, the Bible speaks of a variety of ways. I think of how it speaks of us being clothed in His righteousness. Our old clothing was our sin. We were in sin, but we are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And I think of that parable Jesus told about the wedding and how they went out and gathered the people in finally to get to the wedding, and then the king came in. And he looked at the one fellow that was in the wedding, hanging around with the wedding guests, but he wasn't dressed right. He wasn't dressed for the wedding. How is it that you got in here without wedding clothes? And you remember the man was speechless. There's a lot of people hanging around Christianity. Look like Christians, maybe, hang around with Christians, but they're not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. There is only one way to stand in verse 1, and that's to be in Christ. If you're not in Christ, if you're not clothed in His righteousness, one day 
you'll be speechless when you stand before God. And he sees you, and he sees right through all the facades, and he sees right in, and he sees that you are in your sin. But if your faith, if your trust is in Jesus Christ, you are in Christ, and no one can point a finger at you. Think about it. I mean, there is an accuser. You know, Satan is called in, Re- in Revelation 12, he is called the accuser of the brethren. And I know that since you got up this morning, no doubt, he's worked on you. He works on me. He accuses us and he brings up and he resurrects old sin and guilt. But verse 1 says, he has no audience with God. Satan can't even bring any evidence before God that I was ever a sinner. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Judgment fell on my sin. God judged Jesus Christ for my sin. And no one can produce any evidence before God of my sin. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more, the Scripture says. Isn't that good to know? I mean... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes I illustrate it when I'm talking to people. You know, in the old days when they brought the wagon trains across the prairie, one of the threats, there were many threats, but one of the threats they faced was wildfire and prairie fires. And the story is told of a wagon train coming across out there where they could go nowhere. It was just out there where everywhere, everywhere you looked is all just prairie. And they saw this tremendous prairie fire headed their way and the wind driving it toward them and there was no escape. And the wagon master stopped the train. He knew it was futile to try to outrace the flames or get around them, anything like that. And he stopped everybody and just stopped them in their tracks. And then soon they saw and they said, what is he doing? And he was over on the other side. As they saw the flames, they were occupied with the flames over here. They looked over here and he had set another fire on the other side of them. They said, what kind of a wagon master did we hire? And he obviously knew what he was doing. He set a backfire and the wind that was driving the fire toward them continued to drive this fire away from them. And then after it burned a while, he drove all the train, the whole, all the wagons onto the burned soil, and they just sat there and waited for the fire to come. And they were safe because they were on judged ground, burnt ground. As a Christian, when you come to Jesus Christ, you are on judged ground. God will not punish sins twice. Just as they could be peaceful, knowing that judgment had already fallen, they were uncharred, there was nothing left to burn. So when you come to Jesus Christ, all your sin has been washed away. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions, Colossians 2.13 says. And it goes on to say, having taken them out of the way, he nailed them to the cross, the certificate of debt, all the guilt that I owed. Jesus Christ took and nailed it to the cross. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know what he resurrects in your mind, the accuser that is, but I can tell you something, Christian. Whatever he's resurrecting, telling you about your past sin or the guilt or the shame of it, 
it's washed clean. God doesn't see it. Oh, take verse 1 and camp on it. Enjoy it. But it doesn't end there. Notice verse 1, there is no condemnation, and he moves right into verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. No condemnation is vitally linked to no bondage. Verse 2. Verse 1, there is no condemnation. Verse 2, there is no bondage. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Now, what Paul is after here is just this, what he's been talking about through these chapters. Everyone who is justified, verse 1, is also sanctified, verse 2. There is a positional sanctification. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And by the way, just look at verse 2 for a minute and read it in reverse order, and you'll see what I'm after. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. That's the connection, do you see? There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and in Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit of life has set you free. You not only have no condemnation, but you have no bondage. Not only are chapter 3, 4, and 5 true in Romans, but 6, 7, and 8 are true of Christians. This is truth He wants to get hold of us. And you say, how does He do it, though? How does He set us free from the bondage? Verse 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How does God set us free? He sent His Son to die for us, verse 3. And He sent His Spirit, verse 4, to live in us that through the death of His Son, He justifies us. Through the life of His Spirit, He sanctifies us. He creates holy lifestyles. Not through our own effort, not through a legalistic kind of law-keeping, but through the life of Jesus Christ lived out through His Holy Spirit. Now, just remember that. In fact, uh, I find that Christians spend a lot of time, and I think we should, oh, how we should, Thank God for the gift of His Son. But we should regularly thank God for the gift of His Spirit. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Set Free in Christ, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called, A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. 
The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're continuing to see new growth in the Romans Project on the continent of Africa. Recently, we've added the countries of Guinea, Mali, Togo, and Ivory Coast to the ever-expanding outreach of the project. We'd like to invite you to learn more about this ministry or become a partner with us as we minister to pastors and church leaders throughout Africa. Just navigate over to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com slash romansproject. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. He sent his son to die for us and he gave his spirit to live in us that we might fulfill his goal for our lives, which is holiness, holy lifestyle. He saved us, He justified us, and He sanctifies us in the power of the Holy Spirit that we might live lives pleasing to Him. And He's going to unfold it this whole chapter. There's all kinds of truths for us here, but the great power source of the Christian life is His Spirit. He gave His Son to die for me. He gave His Holy Spirit to live in me. His Son not only set me free from the penalty of sin, but He got me out of the bondage of sin, and now His Spirit is free, so to speak, to fulfill the life of Christ, that holy life that only Christ could live and did live in the life of every believer. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Set Free in Christ. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.